I'm telling you, all we have to do is just do whatever the Kenyans do. Um, which reminds me of this last story. I remember, I think I told you guys a story. We're at the Irvine campus one time, and there's lots of folks who are, you know, we have a relationship with some, a church in Kenya, and lots of folks were volunteering and interning and being part of our, our ministry at, at Irvine. And I asked one time, I, I was talking to one guy who didn't know, um, didn't know Mike. And I was saying to him, hey, can we, um, we, we need to get, we need to get some, something from the Irvine campus. There's four Mariners campuses. And I said, hey, we, we need like a projector. And, he, and I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send my Kenyan down there. And he goes, that's so rude. And I was like, what? And he goes, you know, that's like kind of, that's actually kind of racist. And I was like, what? He goes, you can't, he goes, he has a name. His name is not my Kenyan. And I go, What? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, Mike, his name, this is one of the guys who was working with us. His name is Wamai. And he goes, his name is Wamai. And I go, no, not my Kenyan, Mike Kenyan. <laughs> so for now, the, the friends I have that are Kenyans that are, you know, on our staff or for people that I know, I always, <laughs> I will say to them, hello, Mike Kenyan, as a joke, and we embrace. <laughs> but that is the true Mike Kenyan. That has nothing to do with today's message. All right. Um, hey, if you, when you came in, you got a little bulletin. Oh, but also, I also want to say this really quickly. Um, last week, I, I made a huge mistake. So I just want to just confess this mistake to you and try to make it right. Um, last week, we had, you know, I think two weeks ago, we had talked about um, celebrating and honoring people, educators, people who are in education, and we totally missed. So I just want to say I'm really, really sorry. And we're going to make that right. So next week, we're going we're gonna to honor teachers, coaches, admin, whatever, whatever kind of role you might play in education. We want to honor you. We believe it's one of the most sacred and beautiful responsibilities people could have. And we don't want to miss that. So if either you or you know someone, you're married to someone who is in education, um, we really do want to honor them. We want to pray for them and be with them as a church. So um, that's really, really important to us. And I'm really sorry that it's my fault that we missed that last week. And so we're going to be on that. So sorry about that. We're going to get that right. All right. Um, now, go ahead and take out, you, you, when you came in, you got a, a bulletin. Around that bulletin is an outline. We're going to get to some stuff in a moment. We're going to talk about that. Um, I, uh, I just went to, we're in a series called Hello, My Name Is, as Jordan mentioned already. And, and by the way, as I think about that series, I think, how many of you guys, by the way, do what I do, which is to think of the Eminem song? Slim, Shady, anybody? Yeah, okay, there you go. Some people don't know what that is. We're not going to play it here at church. It's a little, <laughs> might be not totally appropriate. Um, but as Jordan said, we're a group of people trying to follow Jesus. We don't have all the answers, but we're looking to follow him and love other people. None of us does that right, but this is at least our aim. And as we consider what that looks like, one of the things we're talking about is, this series, and you know, as I try to, get, try to get more answers and try to figure out how to do this job better, one of the things I do is I go and visit lots of other churches. I try to see what they're doing and meet with folks at some of those churches and ask them how they're doing stuff and how we might improve as a church community and always be on that kind of learning side of things. And I realized as I was visiting churches, more often than not what they were doing is introducing themselves to me. That I was going to these churches and I'm going, what are they like? What are, they, what are these people really all about? Are they... Are they someone that I'd like to be connected to? Is this a church that's given me a story I'd like to be invited into? Or what are they really doing? And in fact, I, as I think about, um, you know, all of, all of what I, I was visiting these churches, I was like, I wonder how we introduce ourselves to other people. Because what we're saying is God's at work in our midst. There's a story in which God has sort of begun in us. And how is that story being projected to other people? In fact, we said this last week that um, any, any introduction, this hello, my name is idea, any introduction is an invitation to a story. It's saying, you know, here's what we're kind of about. Do you want to be a part of it? And as we introduce ourselves, even with our own name, what you're actually saying is, here's a story. Do you want to enter, enter into that as well? If you are with us last week, we said that the um, image of the church we got was this image that came out of, the, out of the book of Ezekiel, which is kind of a wild book. But it's this prophetic vision this guy gets, this guy Ezekiel gets, of a church, a temple really, the temple of God. 
And from the temple is a river that's flowing out of it, blessing the entire surrounding area. Not just the people who are members, quote unquote, of the temple, but that are, this blessing is flowing out of the temple into the surrounding area. And when we began to look at this, we began to push that forward a little further, again, trying to figure out who we are as a church. You started realizing that what was actually being said there is in Jesus and then as in the early church, Jesus began saying, if I occupy the space in your own life, this, what we call your heart, then you become a temple and that blessing should flow out of you. The Apostle Paul writes it like this. Don't you know, talking to the church, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Meaning, you are the place in which God dwells and the whole world, whether or not these are people that agree with you, love you, care about you, whatever, regardless of how you think about them, the whole world ought to be blessed through you because the Holy Spirit, God's presence, is in you flowing out to the world. And so this became kind of the picture of our church, and it became, it became something as we kind of consider what that looks like. Today what I want to do as we continue a little further is I want to kind of take a little bit look more at us. And maybe some of the work that God's Spirit does in us that's probably a little bit uncomfortable. This is kind of like the second act of, you know, a three-act play. It's a little bit tougher. And, you know, there's going to be some more next week. But I want to give you a sense, really, that I think God wants to do some stuff in us, that Spirit, so that God's blessing might flow out of us into the world. Not just to us, but out of us. And so we'll talk about that. Let's pray together and we'll get into it. Jesus, um, we are um, a group of people. We acknowledge a couple things. One is that there is some beauty and some wonder in us. You have created us in your image, Father, and we live out of that truth. And yet, Jesus, if we're really, really honest, there's still work to be done in us. As we consider all the components of our identity, what makes us us, we know, Father, there's a lot that's not great that we've tried to hide and to manage. So, Father, today... We need your compassionate intervention in us. There are things that we cannot manage any longer, things that we cannot hide any longer. Father, there's stuff that we just need help in. Jesus, for just a moment, as we pause each week, as we do this as a tradition, Father, would you, would you speak to us in stillness about some of the areas of our life that maybe need a little bit more work than just simply a little once over? Father, would you remind us, would you restore, would you give us that sense of that for just a few moments? where you might be at work compassionately in us. Jesus, we need your help. We are good at making a mess, and we need your help to get things made right again. We receive the work that you intend to do, believing it to be in love as difficult as it might be. So Jesus, work now in our lives and in our hearts. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, we've we got to move pretty quick. There's a lot of stuff I'm really excited about getting into this message with you. It's some great stuff. Um, if you want to pull out your outline, you can do that. Everything you need will be on the screen. If you want to follow along in your own Bible or in, um, perhaps maybe you got like a little device to follow along as well. We'll be almost exclusively in Mark chapter 7, so you can turn there and take a look there. As you're doing that, this, um, I was reminded this week, my son, my youngest, is a huge fan of um, Nutella. If you guys know what Nutella is, it's basically like frosting in a jar that you're supposed to rub, like you're supposed to like spread it on your toast. Like, that's healthy now. And it's not healthy, it's frosting. In fact, that was a really good decision one time. We had no frosting, baked a cake, and made, just took the Nutella and put it on there. But it's basically this chocolate, like, I don't know what else you got. It's just a hazelnut. Yeah, but nobody knows what a hazelnut is. But anyway, it's just like, it's, it's like, it's just, it's frosting. Now, my son loves it. What he does is we, you know, he, uh, he, he takes the, the pretzel sticks from 
Trader Joe's, and he'll just dip it into the, and he's got some kind, he's going to be an engineer because he's figured out how with one pretzel stick to extract basically a tablespoon of Nutella <laughs> and put it in his mouth. Now, we buy the biggest possible container you can find of this Nutella. I think you're like, some of you are like, you're an irresponsible parent. Maybe that's true. Okay, but um, he, we buy the biggest jar possible, and he will, it's fine at the beginning of the whole process, but as the weeks go on, and the Nutella gets, you know, lower and lower in this jar, he has to reach his whole hand into this jar. I don't know if it's that deep of a jar, but it's a deep jar. And he's reaching his hand there, and pretty soon as, as he's trying to extract all this Nutella, it's all the way up to his elbows. It's on his face, it's on his ears, it's in his hair. It's like he's blinking, and it's on his eyelashes, and it's like Nutella, I mean, it's like, it's all over the place. Now, the mess is always so incredibly, I mean, we have, we, it's, it's a colossal mess no matter what. And I was, I'm, always like, I'm always like, buddy, you need to have a, a, like a paper towel with you. Maybe a hazmat suit would be probably appropriate given the amount. I mean, it's just like, it's, and I'm like, after you finish, what do you do? He goes, I wash my hands. Now, here's what he does. He, he, after having all this all over him, he'll walk over to the sink, splash some water, and look at me like, I'm done. And it's still all over his face. Am I clean now, Dad? No, you're not. And we ha I'm like chasing, we, my wife and I, Amanda, and I are chasing around the house. Like we kind of have to keep an index of where he goes. Because everywhere he goes, he's going to leave a little bit somewhere. And we live next to this like undeveloped hill right behind our house. And there are, like they, the ants literally have their own little Burning Man convention. When my son <laughs> is eating the, e eating the tell, they're like, here it comes, party time. Because they all watch him and they're like, here, and they, you can just tell, they're just so excited about it. And he'll dive on the couch like, I just had Nutella. And he's like swan dives on the couch and we slow motion dive underneath him to try to catch him, you know, his palm on his face. Like, no, 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 go wash off. But it's a horrible mess. And there's no way to really contain it. It's like, no matter what happens, there's just something going on that we cannot possibly clean it all up. And I was thinking about this for a moment. I was just thinking that as I watch him eat this all the time. There's a couple truths that kind of emerge, okay? Here's, see if you connect with any of these. Well, there's Nutella, in case you're wondering what it looks like. See, just chocolate frosting. Uh, next, let's see. Here's a couple things that emerge. One, every single person in this room is good at making a mess. In fact, some of you, everybody's great at it. Some of you think, I'm not good at making, I'm good at cleanup. That's my thing. I'm fastidious, everybody. I'm kind of no, known for that. Let me just tell you, if that's you, let me show you number two. Most people are good at hiding a mess. You might be expert at hiding a mess, but everybody, oops, there it is intelligent. Everybody, there we go, is good at making a mess. No matter how we look at it in our own lives, every single person here is good at making a mess. And most people are good at hiding a mess. Some people you can tell, they, they're kind of a mess and you're like, whoop, I can tell. Most everybody is pretty good at managing. I think in this area, we're all pretty much experts at hiding the mess in our lives. Lastly is this. No one is good at completely cleaning up their mess. That there's still residue, there's still things, no matter how good we think we are at hiding it, it's not the same thing as cleaning it up. In fact, all of us think at some level we're like, you know, none of us really is good at cleaning up completely the mess. We make a mess and we're not perfect at cleaning it up. Now, no matter what you think about that, the truth is, there is so much of our own lives that is, in fact, reality says, we're it's a mess. There's things that have happened to us, choices we've made, there are decisions that we're kind of walking down. There's paths that we've taken that have made our lives a mess. Some things have happened to us, some things are our own, our own fault. And the work of cleanup, what we're actually trying to do, the principal guiding aim in any cleanup effort is this. It's really quite simple. We want to restore everything to its original, right, good, ordered state of being. In other words, there's a Nutella mess in our house, so to speak, and we got to do everything we can do to make the house look and feel as if 
the Nutella jar was never opened. That's the aim of trying to get things clean. And when we look at our own lives, we have a really hard time trying to get things patched up the way they're supposed to be. We make a mess, and it is hard to clean it up. We're good at hiding it, but it's hard to clean it up. And our aim is to try to get everything back to the way it ought to be. Now, in the ancient Near East, around the time of Jesus, you have a, a world that is essentially, although it's, it manifests a little differently than us, things are exactly the same. There are things that are a mess in people's lives that Jesus wants to address. And there are ways in which people at, in, the, in the ancient Near East who are trying to figure out, how do I manage, how do I take care of the things that are beyond me that are a little bit of a mess? And there's constantly another way to even actually say it is that, that in the ancient Near East, people are trying to figure out who is unclean or what is unclean and how to manage it all together. Let me just give you kind of a primer on first century cleanliness. First is this. Any dirty thing that comes in contact with a clean thing always makes the clean thing dirty. This is like really practical. This makes sense, right? If you have a wedding dress and you throw it in, a, in like a puddle of mud, it's not like the mud is all cleaner. It's that the dress is dirty. Same thing is true in the ancient Near East about all things. And there are some things that are dirty and some things that are clean. And when dirty things contact a clean thing, the clean thing is now dirty. Next. Some dirty things can never become clean. Some dirty things, or not to say otherwise, some dirty people can never become clean as well. There are some things that will always, no matter what you do, be dirty. Lastly, some dirty things can be made clean only if they were once deemed clean and then only after specific prescribed cleansing. So to give you an example, if someone had like a skin disease, this is in the ancient world, and they would come to the priest and the priest would go, you have a skin deal and so we need you to go away. And when you're clean, come back and I'll perform some ritual kind of cleansing and you'll be allowed back in the community of people who worship and live together. But only if you do it right. So if you come back and you still have the skin disease, you're out until it gets better, then you can come back. But we're going to try to, but again, you have been, you were clean at one time, now you're dirty, and we're going to make you clean again. Does that make sense? You have these kind of three components. And it's really critical that you understand this when you read Mark chapter 7, as Jesus has an interaction with people who have made themselves the people, kind of the international police force of cleanliness for this ancient world. And here's kind of their deal. They're called the Pharisees. And I want to give you a sense of what this looks like. Here's Mark chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees, let me move this a little bit. There we go. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating, with, eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees, these guys right here, this is a group of people who believe that the most important thing they could do is to get everybody to live as pure as possible. Their belief is the reason why the Romans are here, the reason why we don't get to have our land and rule it over ourselves is because the people that belong to God, these followers, these people, which, to which we belong, the Pharisees would say, are not pure enough. They added a bunch more laws. They took all the priestly laws, the laws that were just for priests, and said everybody should live by these laws in order that once we get ourselves to be completely pure, God will swoop in, rescue us, we'll have everything we ever hoped for, it'll be amazing. So this is kind of their intent. And they watch Jesus' disciples, and they see them begin to eat food, only they haven't done the ceremonial washing yet. Keep on reading. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. Now Mark, the guy who's writing this account of Jesus' life and ministry called the Gospel, he's writing in such a way that to an audience of people that don't know Jew, like they don't understand 
Hebrew people, they don't understand Israelites, they don't understand Jewish culture, they got nothing like that. They don't understand the Jews at all. So he's explaining to these folks. And he says, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to, note this phrase, it's going to come up a bunch, the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now the tradition of the elders... This is like, just the simplest way to say it is, you have the written law given to Moses, which he records in the Hebrew Bible. Then you have, uh, then you have oral tradition, or oral law given to Moses as well. This is the belief. And that oral law was not written down, but passed down. It's not going to be written down until, I think, a couple centuries after Jesus. You have then this sort of forming up of this written law, this oral law to become written not until after Jesus. But you have this sense where people are saying that the oral law, the most important thing, and how it's interpreted may be as, inter- as important as the written law itself. And they kind of go back and forth. Which is more important, the oral law or the written law? And they kind of go back and forth about this idea. And this is what Mark is explaining to people. Then he says this, verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples, looking at them and how unclean they are, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? What the, disciples are, I mean, what the Pharisees are saying about the disciples is this. Your people, Jesus. The ones who are following you, they're not following all the rules, which means that they're unclean. They're a mess. What's wrong with them? And more so, what's actually being said is, what's wrong with you, Jesus? You can't be a good teacher because if you were, then your disciples would do stuff right. They would be like us. They would have all their purity sort of I's and T's all crossed and dotted. They would get it all together. And yet they don't seem to do that. So you, Jesus, cannot be a good teacher. If you were to introduce yourself, Jesus, saying, hello, my name is Jesus, they w- and I'm a, I'm a great teacher, although he never really affirms himself that way, but that's what he is. They would say, there's no way you can be as everybody's calling you a great teacher because your disciples are living out an unclean life. They're not like us. What Jesus will point out the fair- is this, that the Pharisees, like everyone else, are looking for a way to manage the things that are unclean, that are a mess, that are dirty in their own lives. And the tradition about which they speak, these, this tradition of the elders, it, it, at one level, it's not just a way to elevate the uncleanness of other people above their own, highlighting, of course, we're pure and they're not. There's an us and them and they're a them and we're an us. And it's not just that they would simply say it's a way to elevate the uncleanness of others. There's another layer here, which is this, that when the Pharisees, Jesus will point this out, when the Pharisees begin to elevate the things that are broken in other people, that are messy in other people, what they're actually doing is minimizing the seriousness of the things that are actually in their own lives. In other words, there are messes within their own lives. That when they're able to find the mess in other people, the uncleanness in other people, they're able to say about themselves, the things that are really in my own life are not as big of a deal. Jesus will look at these Pharisees and he'll quote to them some scripture that will absolutely infuriate them. Here's what he points out to them, verse 6. He replied, this is Jesus, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, now he's quoting from Isaiah 29. These people honor me with their lips. God speaking to his own people who are saying and doing all of the right religious things. But their hearts, this is going to be a big issue coming up in a moment, are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. 
In other words, he's, Jesus is speaking, or Isaiah is speaking for God, and this is what he's saying, God's saying to the people, now Jesus is reiterating, you have found a way to make human things a way that you're managing all the stuff that isn't really, a, that you think, is a, you, know, you think isn't a big deal, you pushed it down, and you're looking at everybody else and saying, you guys get it right, be like us. Verse 8, Jesus will say it even more harshly. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. In other words, you have supplanted God with your own human invention to make yourselves feel as though you are superior. You have found a way to make sure people who are not like you are absolutely overwhelmed with pain and sorrow and loneliness. You have made this your tradition. And Jesus is saying, is this, this is really kind of how you guys want to live? Because no, my disciples did not wash their hands. But you guys, you have lots of rules and your hearts are far from God. You have a grand tradition, he says, essentially. But we have it too. We have a grand tradition of dealing with the things that are messy in our own lives. Of placing things in such a way that we can kind of get our arms around them. We do things like this. We hide. We manage. We minimize. We rationalize. We kind of give ourselves a sense of self-righteousness as we conceal stuff. For me, I have a time-honored tradition of my own. I'm, I'm excellent at minimizing. I really am. I feel like there's a great part of me that goes, it's not really that big a deal if I just, you know, if I think about it, it's just not as big as I thought it was and I'm, fob- I'm probably fine. I can justify the way I'm living by whatever else I've done. I can, I'm fine. It's, it's not a big deal. That's what I tend to say. And I realize that the parts of me that are broken, that are not real flattering, they tend to come out when my own patience is tested. That's how I really get revealed. <laughs> how I really get revealed. I'm, I've coached soccer since I was 21 years old. I've coached at every age all the way up to high school varsity soccer. I'm now coaching the hardest group of people I've ever coached in my life, first grade boys. I do not know what to do. This past week I had all of them together and it, was, it took me about eight minutes to get them to stand in a line, spread out. You know, as soon as I would walk them over, then one guy, another kid would come over and stand right behind them. And I'm like, no, no, we're spreading out, we're spreading out. Who can tell me what spreading out is? Ooh, it's where we spread out. Okay, good, try to define it without using the word in it. It's the way we, okay, spread, everybody do this. And they're punching each other. I mean, it's just a nightmare. They have all this energy. Of course, because they're, you know, six and seven years old. And I'm like, okay, guys, here's we're going to put your ball on the ground. You're going you're gonna to dribble it, which just means little tiny kicks all the way to the goal line over there, this end line. And I want you to turn around and come back over here. Okay, I said, just like that. Super sweet camp counselor voice, you know. I'm like, all right, go ahead. And they all immediately kick the ball as hard as they can into the goal. I'm like, okay, everybody grab your ball. Come back out here again. This time. And I think, I, I got it. I got genius. <laughs> I know how to do this. I go, all right, everybody, here's what I want you to do. Next time we do this, again, just like this real chipper voice, I'm like, next time we do this, I want you guys to dribble to the goal, but I want you guys to make the sound of a monkey. I'm like, I'm going to get some energy out. This is going to be great. So now I have eight first graders screaming as they run and kick their ball down to this thing, come back to me, whatever, that's what they think a monkey sounds like. Then I'm like, hey, good, we're getting some energy out. This is great. I'm a genius. Next, same thing, but I want you guys to make the sound. And a kid whispers to me, snake. And I go, oh, snake. We're going to do a snake. And another kid raises his hand. His name's Owen. I go, yeah, Owen. I was going to say snake. It's like, we are on the same page. Dude. This is going to be awesome. They dribble it. They dribble again. They all sound like what, uh, apparently a snake and a monkey sound exactly the same. So they do exactly that. Come back again. Another, I'm like, I got it. This is genius. We're going to run some energy off. I go, what do you guys want? I go, one more time. They go, and I go, we're going to make another sound. They go, one kid puts his, he whispers to me, elephant. And I go, all right, we're doing an elephant. Owen, 
I was going to say elephant. Great. Again, we're on the same page. You're amazing. This is going to be awesome. So now they're doing elephant snakes and monkeys all sound the same, I guess. And they do the same thing, come back. Now, I'm like, that was awesome. It's been 15 minutes. I got nothing left. Now they're all tackling each other and screaming. I'm like, okay. Okay, guys, if anybody, and lots of kids are holding their soccer ball. I'm like, we're not doing any goalie practice to put the ball on the ground. We're just going to, we're just, we're not, we're not taking the ball. We're just going to keep the ball at our feet. In fact, if anybody picks up the ball, we're going to do five push-ups. Immediately everybody picks up. The, literally, it was like I told them, they all went, whoop, pick up their ball. And they hold it. And they all go, can we do push-ups? And I was like, yeah, go for it. Do push-ups. They're all trying to do push-ups. Which they basically, it's just like the most embarrassing watching his kids do this. And you're like, that's probably the way you're doing that. I don't know if you want that to be in public. I mean, it was awful. So they're doing this. And I'm like, okay. So they all wanted to. Then I'm like, I right, forget that. Hey, you know what? You're punching your buddy. Why don't you go run around the goal? Can we all run? Sure, you can all run. Everybody run. I mean, it's just going on. I mean, it's just taking forever. I cannot do anything with soccer. So finally, I'm holding the soccer ball and a kid just in a fit of just whatever it was. And I'm like, I mean, it's 20 minutes. I got nothing left. Kid walks over to me. I'm holding a soccer ball. And he just walks up and like volleyball punches it out of my hand. And I look at this kid. And I now realize, I have great, I, here's the truth about me. I have excellent patience, but it doesn't trail off. My patience is like, awesome, and then it's gone. I'm so, I'm great with the kids. The kids love me. I'm awesome. Now give me your ball. And I literally have a moment where I think to myself rationally and actually quite slowly, the best thing I could do right now is to kick this ball as hard as I can. Now, I played soccer for a number of years. I can punt a ball pretty far. And I just, I just blasted. I mean, oh, yeah? And he hits it on me. I'm just going to take his ball and just send it. And it's like, I'm, like, I'm actually kind of impressed with how far I kick it. You know, I'm like, that's still got it. You know, one of those things. The ball is rolling. I mean, by the time it finishes rolling, it's rolled over 100 yards to another field, another practice. The coach over there is like looking at me like, did you want or we equal? I'm like, I, I don't know. And I look at this kid and he's just got this. He's looking at me just like this. Can you go get my ball? And then I'm like, ooh, that probably wasn't the best way to handle that. Um, and I tr immediately turn on like sweet camp guy voice again. Hey, you know what? Let's get that ball a little later, okay, buddy? Why don't you come on over here? We're going to, you know, don't worry about that. We'll do a drill. We don't need your ball. I'm like trying to find a way to patch it up. But the truth is, when my patience has finally run out and it goes, 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 and it's over. There's no warning sign. I got it and then it's gone. The worst of who I am starts coming out. In every scenario in my life, not just soccer practice, but in every scenario in my life, there is something that is beyond just merely keeping my, cleaning up the mess that's on the exterior, like these Pharisees are talking about, what Jesus is pointing at. He's saying there's something else in there. We cannot simply live our lives where we just wash, rinse, and repeat the exterior of our lives. There is still something bigger that happens in our lives that Jesus is going to point out to these people. And he begins to talk to his disciples after he gives some examples of how the Pharisees are kind of working in such an unbelievably unfair and unloving way. Skipping down to verse 15, here's what Jesus will point out. He'll say this phrase, a bunch. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. The Pharisees, or the disciples are asking him. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this. Are you so dull, he asked, which I love because this makes me think Jesus would probably punt their soccer ball right now. And there I go, minimizing how serious it is right there, okay? See, Jesus probably would have punted a soccer ball. I don't know. It's not in the commentaries, but I'm sure that's what it the experts would say about Jesus. Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside, that enters a person from the outside can defile them. 
Meaning there's something from within us is that we, that's actually part of the mess we actually have to deal with in our lives. The issue isn't going to be outside. It's going to be something else. Here again he says, For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, speaking of food. And then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Actually, literally what it says is he purified all foods. But the point is this. This isn't an issue of eating and drinking. It isn't an issue of people, a couple people not washing their hands appropriately. You, Pharisees, are missing the point. You are majoring in the minors in such a big way. And he begins to say something that's incredibly powerful. He begins to start outlining this. That's what's in us is a much bigger mess than what's on the exterior. To summarize it, here's the way I put it. The greatest and most dangerous messes in our lives, the ones that are going to cause us the most damage, the ones that are going to cause us the most pain, are always the messes that are invisible. The greatest and most dangerous messes in our lives are always the messes that are invisible. It's not the stuff we can see. It's generally, probably said more strongly, always the stuff we can't see because we're pretty good at hiding this stuff. But the stuff God wants to do in us is going to be stuff that's on the inside. It was a big theme in Jesus' ministry as he walks around and begins to kind of teach people about all of what he intends to do. Jesus will reiterate, get more specific here, I'll say this again. Remember this phrase, he keeps saying it, the issue is not the dirt on the outside. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. Then he gets very specific about what those things are. For it's from within, out of a person's heart. That evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. A wonderful hit list of things that are awful, right? But he points these things out saying, look, you cannot manage these things that all of us have probably encountered at some point in our lives. You cannot manage these things by hiding, by sweeping together, by washing your hands. You have to really do something that you cannot do on your own, which is to reconfigure the condition of your own heart. Because it's from your heart that these things come. You can't blame anybody else for them. They just come right out of you. And then he'll say one last time. This phrase that I want you to hold on to because it's so critical. Say this one more time. He'll say this. Verse 23. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. To the Pharisees who are so concerned about the exterior dirt that's on the disciples' hands who are trying to follow all... <laughs> All of these little tiny ritual laws, they're missing the biggest issue, which is what's inside of them. Almost, it's almost like a core part of our broken sort of identity, a broken piece of our identity, is this avoiding of the condition of our own heart, heart un, sort of our heart brokenness, our heart uncleanness. And the way that we sort of deal with it is that we deal with it in the exteriors and other people so that we never have to see it in ourselves. There's something about us that says, I know I'm broken, but it is far easier to deal with it in other people than in myself. In other words, to start in on criticism about someone else, about their dirt that you can see, we better be willing to deal with the dirt in our own hearts. Jesus will reiterate this over and over again in his ministry. It's easy to spot things that are broken in other people. It is way harder to deal with it in our own lives. So how do we deal with the mess? To deal with the mess... I'm going to have to take seriously the condition and content of my own heart. I can no longer say, yeah, yeah, I know there's some stuff in there. I got to work on it. I'm just good. But I really, I'm going to, I really, I, I'm really, I'm really furious about everybody else. I'm unwilling to look at the content of my own heart. The biggest issue you are up against in your life is whatever's already in your heart. 
This is where God wants to work in you. And none of us are immune. All of us have some stuff that needs to be worked on in our lives. What is it in your own life as you think really seriously about it? That you are minimizing, justifying, giving yourself permission, excuses, that you're allowing to be there, that really is corrupting you, but you just kind of said, it doesn't really matter because nobody can see it. I can manage it. It's okay. Even more so, it tends to be the case is that as Jesus, Jesus begins to criticize again even more so these, these um, Pharisees. He'll say about them, you have got all of these rules, but you are using them as a way to keep as a way to give yourself permission to not love people. This is in Luke chapter 11. It's not, I think, I'm not sure if this is in your outline, but Jesus says this. Jesus replied, by the way, right before this, the people who are the teachers of the law, these experts and the Pharisees and stuff, they're like, they literally say, hey, you kind of are hurting our feelings when you say these things, Jesus. It's, it's actually quite funny. Verse 46, he says, well, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. He's saying... You have given people a way to live that's impossible. And you look at them and say, well, I hope you guys can make it there. And the issue is less about the, the like, load that, he get, that they give to them and more about the idea that it's some way in which they aren't willing to enter into it with them. I find in my own life, the people with whom I have the most difficulty, the biggest problem and the biggest issue with their own uncleanness are the people that I love the most. I am... The, I am the fastest, I'm the quickest to say to those people, you are too unclean for me, please get away until you get it worked out. To the people I love the most. Which is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. You have found a way to keep people who you don't want to deal with at arm's length. I realize in my own life this is what I do with people I love the most, or I'm supposed to love the most. I find their stuff and I dig into it so I don't have to deal with my own. I want to show you, we're running, we're running kind of tight on time. I want to show you a clip. This is from um, Mary Poppins, actually. Um, and I, having prepared this message, I never, I ran across a quote um, from one of the, uh, a commentary. It's a, this is a guy who looks at the Bible and tries to figure out, you know, how to explain it. He says, the church, which is notoriously a group of people who are looking at the rest of the world and saying, you guys get your act together. Is always, it's generally people that are unwilling, this is at least the complaint of people looking from the outside in at a church, saying, these are people who are willing to find fault in other people but not in themselves. And this commentary says, this, comment, this, you know, this Bible expert, he says, the church, which is us, ought to imagine themselves, thinking of themselves like a chimney sweep. That they cannot do their job unless they are willing to get their hands dirty. You see, this is a, we say this all the time, this is a group of people who do not have it all together. If we act like we do, people can, there, there is such a turnoff about that. We are going to have an opportunity to, to really deal with the issues in our own life and to be next to people who are messy just like us. As a, towards the end of the movie of Mary Poppins, Bert, the chimney sweep, this is what made me look for it online. Bert, the chimney sweep, is a guy who is covered in soot, you know, he's got the, the chimney soot all over him, and he's, co he's covered in dirt, and he's a foil for this guy, Mr. Banks, who is the picture of cleanliness, put-togetherness. He is this, everything is in control of my life. I have managed things that are difficult for me. And what he is being confronted on in the most beautiful way by a man covered in dirt in his own perfectly pristine house is he confronts the Mr. Banks on the reality that he has been challenged to love his own kids, and his kids have been getting in the way of his own life. 
And he, these are the people whom he's supposed to love the most, and these are the people, the kids, whom he is finding reasons to keep his distance because they mess stuff up. Now watch this clip. Check this out. Audio's a little off. This is a moment of clarity for Mr. Banks. He looks at his own life and he says, I've got everything under control, everything's been managed, and I've used this way of management to keep anybody dirty away from me, and the people he's kept at the greatest distance are his own children. And there's the man covered in dirt and dirt and soot saying, how dare she, referring to Mary Poppins, keep your ki- you know, how dare she ask your kids to go with you to do things? Because that, you're just too important. See, for us, the issue that Jesus is speaking about is within our own hearts. We are people who love to find fault in other people and keep the ones we love, the ones we're supposed to love, at the greatest distance because it is easiest to find fault in them and far harder to find it in us. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The work I want to do in your life is at the interior of your life and you cannot continue to say, everybody else has the issue and I don't. Next week we're going to spend some time talking about how God does this work in us, how he brings people who are far from him, close to him, that his intention is for everybody to walk with him and to be with him and that the work of The work of dealing with our own hearts is the work that God does through Jesus in us. What is it that is in your own life that you are burying, hiding, minimizing? And what is in everybody else that you're going, I don't have to love them because they got dirt that I can see. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. As your eyes are closed, as you're just continuing to take sort of an evaluation, inventory of your own heart, take a moment to consider where it is that God is working in you. Some of you may need to come forward to receive prayer after or maybe during this response time as we sing some songs. Some of you are going to want to come forward and just meet with our prayer team. Because maybe there's a part of you that's felt maybe that you've gone too far, that God can't love you. But that's just simply not true. And you, need to be, you need that to be prayed over you. God is continuing to do work and wants to do so in your life.
in you and through you. Jesus, we are um, people who need you. We have our own messes that are in us. Father, we pray that there would be something um, about us, Jesus, that would give us cause to just say for a moment, pause for a moment to say, Jesus, we need you to do the work that we cannot do on our own. Father, there is uncleanness in us. And for that reason, we have no reason to simply stand seeing the exterior of everybody else and demanding that they get their act together. Jesus, we need your help. We need you to do the work we cannot do. We freely receive your work in us and we confess, Father, just in the quietness of our own heart that there is stuff that is not good in us, that you are still lovingly intervening and compassionately at work to help us as we become more and more the people you intended us to be. Might we sing with full hearts. Might we sing with honesty and confession and humility as we respond to you as we sing this song. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.
slide back on the screen? Right there. The transformation that God wants to do in us is not a bunch of religious practice. It's not about tending things. It's not about doing, saying a prayer before you do certain things. I don't know. What God intends to do is from the inside out. This is the work God wants to do in us, that when we talk about who we are, our own name, that God is going, you, among other things, are beautifully and wonderfully made, and you are also a work in progress. And the work that God wants to do is inside of us, that it might demonstrate out the blessing that God intends to give to the world could come through us who are being transformed. Not who are done being transformed, but who are being transformed. One of the ways in which we conclude our services, if you're new with us, we just simply put our hands out. If you would join me in doing that, there's nothing magical about this. It's simply a way in which we receive a blessing that God intends to give to us in a humble posture. And so, would you receive this blessing? Father, we are people who are a work in progress. We fully and freely admit that there are things that are not yet done in us that need to be done. And Father, we seek that you would do those things. But we believe that you can. We believe that you are powerful and you are victorious over the things that are making a mess of our lives. Jesus, we admit in this moment, we can no, we can no longer manage them. We need you, we need your careful, compassionate, powerful intervention in our lives to deal with us as we are, that we might become more like you intend us to be. Jesus, we are grateful we get to come to you, that you hold us dearly, and that you long for us to meet you more personally. Lord, might the blessing that you tend to give to the world come out from us to the world, and we'll be used by that. In your name, Jesus, we pray, amen, amen.